There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. It's Drive Live, Claire and Tim with you this evening through till 7 o'clock. And it's that time of the week when we discuss all things of a legal nature. Legal Hour on Drive Live. A very warm welcome, as usual, on a Monday to Ludmilla Yamalava, managing partner at HBL Yamalava and Plevka, of course, here in the hot seat, as usual, on a Monday to answer any questions you can throw at her. Welcome, Ludmilla. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Good to be here. Uh, lovely to have you with us, as always. And the questions are already flooding in, as they do. 4001, if you want to add yours to the list. We always run out of time, so do get them in early. But before we dive in on those, Ludmilla, let's start uh, with a topic that's well, it's often in the news because we see these cases come through the courts. And a recent example uh, of this, damages and compensation, uh, was a businessman, you pointed this story out, uh, who's suing a hotel in Dubai for 50 million dirhams because while he was at a business dinner, uh, they found a, 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 what they call a blood, the report says a bloody bandage. I'm thinking it's probably a plaster, a sticking plaster from a hand. But anyway, they found it in the food. So he's suing the hotel, um, a civil compensation claim, uh, saying that he's lost, uh, he's been, his reputation's been damaged because he was embarrassed and he's lost money because he lost out on the business deal. That just seems like such a huge figure. Is that something that the courts are even going to take a look at here? Uh, well, you've um, accurately summarized the article. And as you said, the bloody bandage, if you have to read the story, it's quite, it's quite graphic. So uh, at an emotional level and sympathetically, we can understand and relate to, I guess, the feelings that uh, that incident would have evoked in the, in the person. Uh, however, in legal terms, the uh, the right for compensation for damages in the UAE is very different from, for example, in the U.S. In the U.S., we love what's called the punitive damages, and that's uh, usually calculated as a triple or treble of any actual damages. So it could be quite a substantial amount. So a figure like 50, 000, uh, 50 million dirhams, for example, is not, uh, is not an unfamiliar figure, for example, in the U.S. jurisdiction. However, in the UAE, it's very different. The courts here, in order to, uh, to award damages, they actually look at actual damages. Now, if you just zero in on that particular phrase, the actual damages, how do you prove actual damages? The actual damages obviously need to be substantiated by some kind of documentation, such as invoices. And let's say in, if you make a claim for emotional distress, it is possible that people will have suffered from emotional distress and those kind of damages would have to be substantiated by medical invoices and medical reports um, that somehow would uh, would monetize that person's loss of for example income or loss of, uh, um, of or loss of whatever other sort of mental capacities that would otherwise enable them to earn a living uh, so the courts would actually look at specific invoices that to substantiate for example that claim uh, what else could it be it could be loss of business which is the uh, one of the theories that's alleged in this particular article and um, and it's in theory, it's, it's, it's a theory that can be legitimate or can be valid. However, once again, how do you prove a loss of business, a future business? Actual business, yes, you can prove, but future business is much more difficult uh, to do so. Once again, in the U.S., we have expert witnesses, and these are financial expert witnesses could, who could hypothesize and theorize about what future damages might have been and use all sorts of very complicated algorithms and, and formulas. In the UAE, that practice does not exist, and the laws, again, are drafted in a way that um, limit damages damages to actual damages. So in, in the event, for example, when somebody's claiming that the loss of business um, would, have, um, would have been one of the results of, of this particular incident, they'd have to show that there's a, there was a direct correlation between this incident and the loss of business. In this case, the, um, 
the victim said that um, they had lost the deal because of this incident. Well, the burden will be on them to prove to the court that the, that loss of deal was in fact a direct correlation uh, for uh, for for this you know, for, for I guess that loss. But I guess for the, the the loss of deal was direct correlation for the incident. And in this case, we can see how the deal might not have been consummated at that point in time, obviously, because of the emotional distress. But to try to prove to the court that it was reasonable to expect that this deal would not have consummated at all because of this incident. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch. Um, Everything is possible. Once again, the courts hear a lot more, uh, a lot more evidence driven, a lot more evidence based. And just to give you examples, we've had a number of cases in our practice where truly uh, physical damage um, has been done or has happened to uh, for to our clients, for example. So there was an incident where there was an explosion in in the villa, and it was a because result of a water tank and there was, there was a lot of debris there's a ceiling fell off and there were young children they were physically damaged uh, thankfully there were no um, no serious injuries but there were cer- certainly traumatic injuries as you can imagine and for example in that case there was a, a girl was suffering um, suffering from being able to fall asleep from being able to be alone and obviously we can correlate all that to the incident in which she found herself where you know the entire feeling did fall on her and and the mother and the rest of the family you can imagine the rest and it was it was uh, the court uh, required that we actually prove and submit documents that showed you know to quantify so that like damage doctor's bills or psychiatrist yes, treatment or something what? yeah but i mean imagine so that you can submit those those bills for the visits you've 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 conducted but how are you going to submit bills for future damages or that the person loses sleep over the next 20 years of the rest of their lives how do you quantify that damage and at this point the UAE courts do not have a formula or a mechanism that would allow them to quantify future damages so in that case the damages were really based and limited only to the actual damages and, the, and there that is the invoices from doctors. Ludmilla how would you do that in let's take the example of the US where you uh, studied and practiced uh, before how would you monetize uh, stress or, or emotional distress how does that work is it as simple as you said something like trebling uh, actual damages earlier is, is that the basis for it? Uh, no, uh, not only uh, because before you get to that basis I mean the troubling really is what's called the punitive damages and that's right. that's basically to penalize or to punish and uh, the entity or the defendant in a particular case and so if you just limit that the the logic is that if you just limit to the actual damages it does not necessarily will not necessarily serve as a deterrent for them to to amend their practices or the business practices for example that's where the idea of punitive da- damages comes in but before you get to that troubling of, of damages actual damages there it's a fairly developed industry in the US and and there are other countries that, uh, that follow the practice but I think we in the US going to lead You've got a whole TV series about indeed. it, haven't you? Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> so there are expert witnesses, and these expert witnesses can be doctors. And in this case, they would be doctors. And they would, for example, estimate. Uh, let's take an exa- the example of a client we um, I mentioned earlier, a, a little girl who suffered, who is now suffering from lack of sleep. And so a doctor would, based on his or her experience, would estimate what that would translate into that individual's, for example, life over the span of. And they would use all sorts of credentials and all sorts of of um, papers that they might have written uh, and, um, and and obviously reports from other doctors and medics that would show that an incident like that would normally uh, potentially result in the following, I guess, consequences uh, to the person uh, as such in, in by way of, for example, not being able to sleep and then suffering from that 
often seeking more psychiatric uh, help over the over the course of their lives or not being able to get a job and so on and so forth. I mean, you really, it gets very, very complicated. You see, you can... But none of that happens here. No, you no. can't. And what about, just before we move on, reputational damage? Because obviously... That is something that's very important here, particularly in business, reputation. So how can I prove if my reputation has been damaged? I guess that's moving towards maybe defamation and things like that. Correct. Uh, very uh, very well uh, pointed out. So the reputational damage here is divided into two, criminal and civil. So with regards to civil, it's once again the same thing. It's actual damages. Well, you can, in fact, show that, you're de- uh, that you might have suffered damages as a result of, uh, of damage to your reputation by way of bringing in evidence that shows that you've lost business that because of, uh, let's say, this particular incident. How you show that, it's a little more difficult, but it is possible, for example, to have emails or documentation or statements from someone saying, we are not giving you this business or we're giving somebody else this business because of the incident that happened with, uh, with that other party. And, and potentially you would have some kind of a monetary figure that's attached to the value of that business. So that's how you would do it. Here again, actual damages, uh, and uh, uh, but but with regards to um, I guess limiting reputational damage further, and that would be a criminal case. And here, something like this would certainly rise to a criminal uh, complaint, which uh, which ba- which will not really lead to any kind of monetary compensation to uh, the victim, but certainly will prevent the other party will penalize the other party for having done that and prevent the other party from doing it again. Interesting stuff. 4001 if you've got a question about damages or compensation for Ludmilla. Of course, uh, a question about anything at all. Lots more to come on The Legal Hour. Your questions are next. This is Drive Live. On Dubai I 103.8. Legal Hour on Drive Live. It is a legal hour. It's Drive Live. Claire and Tim with you. And also Ludmilla Yamalova is in studio answering your questions. And as usual, Tim, well, they're flooding in. What have we got? Uh, lots coming in. 4001 via 3 at 431010. You can uh, call in if you'd like to come on with us. This is from, no name on this actually. I'm a senior manager, Ludmilla, seconded from a multinational company. I'm part of a pension scheme through the company in Europe. I've been on a free zone visa in for more than 10 years. What's my position? relating to end-of-service gratuity when I leave the company? Uh, great question. So and we actually see these kind of structures quite frequently. As long as you're working in the UAE, you are covered under the UAE labor law. So therefore, you're entitled to all the benefits that would otherwise be enti- awarded to you under the UAE labor law. Now, with, res- with respect to the labor law, it sets the, the floor, if you will, in terms of the benefits that all employees are entitled to. It, uh, if companies want to offer anything more than that, they certainly are welcome to do so, but they cannot take away from those benefits because the benefits provided for by law are the minimal benefits that employees in this country are entitled to by law. So in this case, if you have, and we see these, um, these kind of secondment agreements, but under the law here, as long as you're based here, as long as you're working here, so therefore you'll be entitled to, you'll be treated irrespective of how many different contracts you have and what these contracts say, you will be treated as a UAE employee. Now, with regards to uh, figuring out interpreting these various contracts, um, the position in this, in this jurisdiction, and it's very similar to all other jurisdictions, is that any inconsistencies will be interpreted in, in favor of the non-drafting party, which in this case obviously would, they, would be the employee. So let's... Uh, take an example of a notice period. So 
Under the secondment agreement, for example, there's a notice period of six months, and under the internal agreement or under the government agreement, the notice period is one uh, one month, and the employee is being terminated. Well, in that case, obviously, the six month notice period is more in favor of the employee uh, uh, because it's because it's resign is it's termination, not resignation. So, in that case, the court would actually uphold uh, the contract or the term of a contract that is in favor of the employee, and it's not it's not to say that the, the rest of that secondment agreement will be interpreted in favor of the employee, it will be kind of pick and choose in terms of the clause by clause in terms of the benefits. So all overall, the court will look at these various documents, including the offer letter, by the way, and uh, any other correspondences and use those correspondences to interpret or set the terms of so-called the relationship, the employee-employee relationship between the parties. And any inconsistencies uh, will be interpreted in favor of the employee. And then any violations of the law obviously will be uh, stricken from the agreement. And so, for example, we see this quite a bit with secondment agreements where there will be a mention of a pension plan uh, and will there be a, cl- a clear statement that the, this pension plan is in lieu of or, uh, or in exchange for the uh, pension benefits or, end of, or gratuity benefits that would otherwise be um, due under the UAE law. That clause is not, uh, is not valid because it contradicts the UAE law. And obviously, but with, I guess, one, uh, one exception, that is the, if the pension under the um, under this common agreement somehow the value of the pension is higher than what the employee would be entitled to under the gratuity scheme under the UAE law then the employee can opt for the pension but in most cases that we've seen the pension actually is much uh, less than the gratuity payment under the UAE law and in that case it would be that pension even if the clause in the agreement clearly states that I waive my right to receive the UAE gratuity and I will accept and instead uh, take the pension it will that clause will be struck out Okay. Uh, Jamal has messaged in saying, contrary to an internal agreement, uh, uh, my employer claims that he has a right to vary and change the agreed upon rest days. Can he do that? Uh, And should a disagreement arise, who will bear the burden to terminate the contract, I guess, if he decides they don't want to accept the new rest days? And that's always the issue in employment cases. Uh, When parties come to a standstill, what can you do as an employee in particular? So if the the company does something that you don't agree with... uh, in particular in trying to rewrite the agreement, what should be your position? So number one, and that's the first part of the question, uh, any contract can only be uh, amended by mutual consent. So no contract can be amended unilaterally. And any provisions to the contrary will once again will not be held valid. In other words, if there is a provision in the contract that says that us, the company, has the right to amend any terms in the agreement, that provision will not be valid. And this is not unlike any other jurisdiction, by the way, because otherwise the contract becomes... uh, uh, becomes nonsensical if one party always has the right to amend the terms however they want. Um, So in this case, the company cannot amend anything unless you've agreed to it. Now, how do you agree to change in the contract? There are two ways of doing it. One is by actually signing signing, uh, some sort of an amendment to agreement, and it could be uh, as as simple as a, uh, a handwritten notice or a handwritten note, or it could be by action. In other words, for example, and this comes up often with salary decreases, and that is uh, you are getting paid 20,000 dirhams for the last five years, and all of a sudden your company says, well, we don't have money, and so we want to increase, decrease your salary, let's say, to 15,000. Well, and you say, I don't agree, but then you start receiving 15,000, and you stay on the job. 
And then, so let's say three months into it, you still stay on the job. And then you, um, and then you, at some point, let's say a year later, you raise, a, you, the, the, you either leave or you're being terminated or, or what have you. At that point, you will have been considered as having consented to the amendment of the agreement. So your salary now is 15000 and it's because you chose to stay. So in other words, you can, you can evidence amendment to an agreement either by writing or by action. In this case, it would be, uh, would be action. So now the second part of Jamal's question is, so what would you do? So let's presume that the difference in your, in your contract is something similar to that, something that you believe the company is taking away from you and you don't want to agree to it. And so, but they, because they are your employer, just because you say, I, I don't agree to it legally, you're correct. But practically, they can do whatever they want to do. And often we do see exactly that. The company will all of a sudden change the policy or change the compensation. So if you stay on, then you will have been, you will be deemed to have accepted the terms. And if you do not want to accept, and if they are substantial enough for you to actually make, make it an issue, then you need to resign. But you can, that resignation will be considered as constructive termination. In other words, you will not lose your benefits uh, because you have resigned because in effectively you have been terminated by virtue of, of, of having been forced uh, to leave because the company is changing the terms of your agreement. So when you resign, you need to make it very clear in a resignation letter the reasons for doing so. I mean, there's a little bit of background here to Jamal's uh, text. There's another text. He'd signed, originally signed an unlimited employment contract, uh, an internal agreement with uh, a company. On the internal agreement, the rest days were two days. These have been decreased to one. That's the, the point of it. Um, that went on for a few years. He's now been presented with a new unified contract, which has a provision for uh, rest days within, but it is one in this. So in this instance, the he should apply the same, uh, I suppose, that he should resign and say, no, I don't agree, and state why. Uh, right. In theory. In theory. And, right. and this is where the practical uh, element comes in, and that is, well, how, how instrumental is this issue to you? Because, okay, you're giving up one day. But what are your chances if you resign? Obviously, then you need to find another, another position. And if you are sure that you can find another position, then, well, then that's a fairly simple choice. You resign, and as you said, then you memorialize the reasons for your resignation. That uh, makes it clear this was, in fact, constructive termination. And then you seek another employment, and then you file a case against the company for, but for what? But basically, that you would ask for arbitrary dismissal in that case because you've been uh, dismissed arbitrarily. But you need to make sh- you need to make sure that you have another position to join. But in most cases, especially today, it's the chances of being able to find another employ- employment right away are less than they used to be. So in many cases, employees are actually forced to accept these amendments to terms because if you go to court, the court will never, and this is very important, the court will never order the company to, for example, reinstate the terms. Uh, because it's you, and you will not be able to bring a case um, uh, to court unless you have some sort of a, some sort of a claim. And what's your claim? The court will never order that company to say, "Okay, well, you have to you have to increase your terms." You can just basically say, "Well, the company can terminate you," or you can, if you're not happy, you have to resign. So again, it's all about damages uh, or damage control versus having having that particular term reinstated. Because the courts here will not force any company to employ somebody against their will and vice versa, they will not force any employee to work against their will. So Jamal just has to make the decision whether he's prepared to uh, lose the job or accept what's there. Correct. Okay. No matter your preferred communication, stay in touch with Drive Live only on Dubai Eye 103.8. 
It's just gone 5.35. You can stay in touch with the show on 4001. Use a free messenger app, of course, or 04423 if you'd like to give us a call. We're in the middle of legal hour. Ludmilla Yamalova, managing partner at HPL Yamalova and Plevka, is with us taking your questions. We've got absolutely loads coming in. We're going to try and get through as many as we can this evening. 4001 if you want to add yours. Where are we going next, Tim? I am keen to invest in property uh, in the UAE. Would it make more sense to invest directly on a person's name, in a person's name, or through a company? Will that decrease liability should there be an issue tomorrow? Also, if I'm investing through a company, is the residence visa still available to individuals of that organization? Or only if you invest as a private individual would you get the residence visa? Uh, That's the residence visa option. Is it also true in Abu Dhabi, or is it just Dubai, that you get an investment visa while investing for residential properties Thank you, says X. Okay, uh, fairly multifaceted question, but mm. I'll try to be as succinct as possible. So let me start with the easiest one. The uh, property visas, the so-called property visas, are only available in Dubai in no other Emirates, so that would exclude Abu Dhabi. With regards to whether it's better to uh, to uh, buy the company in the name or buy the property in the name of a company or an individual, what really is a, is an individual choice. As an individual, it's a lot simpler and a lot easier because you actually have an individual that can walk over to the land department and uh, walk over to the bank and um, cash the check or, or hand the check, issue the check. And these may seem like very simple things, but they actually can be quite complicated. Uh, and um, so that's in the case of an individual. Now, if you're a company, it's something very different because now we'll, we've often seen it also depends on whether it's a comp- company that's set up in the UAE or a company that is um, a branch or an affiliate of a foreign company because that really complicates matters. And, it's, and it complicates not by in any sort of legal uh, terms, but more in, in um, practical and documentation terms. And that is, for example, and we see this quite, a, quite often, is that a lot of people who want to invest in property here in the name of a company, they want that company to actually belong to another company elsewhere. Well, whenever the land department ultimately here and the authorities here want to know who the ultimate beneficiary is, and any time you do anything in the name of a company, you need to do a very different type of due diligence, and that is you always need to show who owns that company, who are the shareholders of the company, who the manager is, who has a signatory authority, who has the authority to conduct, for example, financial matters. Uh, and every single time also you need to show that these documents have to be fresh. And so, for example, let's just let's walk through the exercise of, of buying property through a company. Well, how can a company buy a property? The company cannot make a decision. The decision has to be made by, uh, by the board of directors. So you need to have a board resolution or a shareholder resolution that says, yes, we, the company, we, the authorized representative of the company, we, uh, we authorize or we agree to buy this property. Now, how do you establish who the authorized representatives are, who the board is? So you have to look at the memorandum of associations, articles and corporations, certificate of good standing, and all these documents have to be recent. They have to be revalidated. So I'm, I'm giving a very sort of very quick rundown of just a list of complications if you're doing through a company. If the company's in the UAE, it's much simpler because you don't have to, you just go to the local authorities um, that license that company and you obtain these documents from them. But even then, it's going to be a lot more expensive and more time-consuming only because you need to come up with a whole series of documents. If a company is established somewhere else, you need to also factor in the time for attestation and legalization, apostille, and every one of these documents that comes from the from abroad costs, and this is in approximate terms, about a 1,000 or so euros or dollars for every document. So it's a lot more complicated, and also certificates of good standing is another <laughs> another ball game. Anyway, so, but, but yet there are a lot of reasons, business and commercial reasons, why some may want to 
to buy in the name of a company. And some, for example, in the past, this practice used to be uh, favored, for example, for issues of inheritance. And that is if um, the, the worry was that under until recently, uh, if a property is owned in the name of an individual and that individual dies, the property will be disposed of as per Sharia. And so if somebody wanted it to be disposed of differently, then obviously that will be, there would be complication. If you own the property in the name of a company, then that somehow would avoid that issue. So that was one of one of the reasons. Uh, but now with the DFC wills and probate, that option is at least for non-Muslims. Um, that option there's a new option which can um, can go around the Sharia issue. Uh, so, however, if the uh, if the question or if the objective to buy property, which it may be in um, access question, uh, is to obtain property visa, now that you can only do in the name if the property is owned by an individual. So, if acts your your goal is to actually qualify for a residence a UAE residence visa on the basis of owning property, then you do need to own it individually. Okay. Uh, Torai says, uh, Hi Ludmilla, in light of the recent burning buildings, uh, if an apartment unit is burnt beyond use, will the insurance pay the owner the value of at least what they paid for it when they purchased the apartment? Uh, and does the owner need to insure the apartment separately? Now, he's not re- referring to home contents insurance, obviously that's separate, but uh, I guess insuring his in- apartment individually over and above the building insurance. Great question. So, and I've, it's a question that's come up many times and actually the issue that we've dealt with many times in, in different contexts. But number one, uh, let's just kind of start from, from um, the back or the end of the question. That is whether there's a requirement to, uh, to do a different insurance apart from content insurance. Absolutely, because a content insurance is something that only covers the insides of your, of your property. And obviously it will not include the value of the property itself. Content insurance is very common in particular in cases of, of rentals. Uh, so yes, if you want, if you're an owner of a property and you want to ensure the compensation of the value of your property, then you would have to get your separate property insurance. Now, the extent or the scope of um, property insurance is what well, it's it varies. It truly varies, and it really depends on how you negotiate your contract. Because because remember, insurance is nothing nothing more nothing less than a contract. So therefore, if uh, if what's important to you is to have coverage of um, the value of the property, then you need to make sure that your insurance policy actually includes that. Now, by I'll tell you from experience, in most cases, policies, insurance policies, do not even tackle that particular issue. They talk about that they will rebuild or they will pay for uh, for the expenses associated in connection with rebuilding the property, but they don't really talk about the replacement value, which is very different. And as um, Tori uh, accurately pointed out, in a lot of these cases, the, the properties are... Uh, continue to be in disrepair for years and years and years and obviously as an owner of the property you you want to have the choice of saying I'm not interested I want to walk away in that case you need to make sure that your policy includes a replacement value and that replacement value is actually at your option or your discretion and also how you quantify the replacement value is this the value of the property as it was valued when you bought it as per the purchase contract or as the value as it stands, for example, at the market conditions. Uh, and so and it can really, can really go up and down or, or down. And so that's a very important um, element. And I will tell you from experience, most insurance policies do not include that particular clause by default. So if, if you're taking insurance for that reason, you must make sure that that clause is in there and that it's actually incorporated and permeated throughout the agreement because often 
it'll be mentioned on the front page of the of the agreement, but not in the remainder of the agreement. I seem to recall us talking about this last week, Ludmilla. Always read yes. every bit of the contract and make sure you see all of the T's, uh, T's and C's. Uh, thank you for that one. 4001 if you want to add your question or 04423 We've got a caller uh, on the line now. Thomas is on. Uh, hi, Thomas. How are you doing? Hello, Thomas. Maybe Thomas couldn't wait as long as we wanted him to wait. He's not there. We might come back to Thomas. He had a question, Lyudmila, on uh, maternity leave uh, and uh, other benefits. But uh, uh, let's move on to Kelly says, if my visa is transferred to another company or government entity, what happens to my benefits, i.e. leave and gratuity? Uh, great question. So just for clarification purposes, the UAE visa or the, the residence visa and employment contracts are two separate, uh, two separate legal um, ideas, if you will. So just because... Uh, you're an employee in the UAE does not mean that um, you, it's, it's, I mean, technically speaking, you have to be under the UAE, uh, you have to have residence visa, but you can also have the residence visa, for example, through your spouse. Um, so the visa in, is not in all cases required to be by your sponsor. So therefore, when you move, when you just change your visa, it does not mean that you change your, your employment status. So if, let's say, if you're working for the same company, but well, you need to make sure that you're actually working for the same legal entity. So let's say your company is moving base from, uh, from a JAFSA uh, company to a DED company. So it's the same, it's more or less the same company and it's the same control, uh, then you can continue on on that same employment and ultimately at the end of your employment, um, your term, uh, uh, your with JAFSA, for example, for the company when it was um, uh, incorporated in JAFSA would be counted uh, towards the term of your employment. Uh, however, you need to make sure that the two entities are in fact uh, the same entities or more or less under the same control. If you are, if you feel that the, the difference in the entities and control is significantly different, then you, you need to insist that you will have been paid your end-of-service benefits and basically start your employment anew. And I will tell you what we see this again, uh, that in most cases, employees don't know about this and they'll sign on and they're required to sign a new contract because when you move from, let's say, JAFSA to a DDD, you will have to sign a new contract. And often in these specially internal contracts, there'll be a clause that this is a new contract and everything else that you've waived uh, uh, that you might have been entitled to previously, you would have waived. Well, it will not be valid because, once again, unless you've been paid those benefits, um, the court will not uphold that particular writing because it would be in violation of the UAE law. Okay. I don't think we've got Thomas back on the line still. I can see Sally furiously trying to get him (laughs) back on there, Tim. Um, Let's see if we can uh, fit another quick question in. Plenty of questions to get to. Here's one from, no name on this as well, actually. My wife was recently let go from work. She was on a limited contract, Ludmilla, joined in December 2016, let go at the end of last month, July 2017. I believe she's owed three months' pay, but the company paid her only for the month of July. Can she challenge this uh, in the Labour Court? She has proof of her duration at work in the form of emails in December through to the end of July. Uh, Well... There is, there's for clarification purposes, there are two different types of notices. I mean, one is the actual notice uh, for termination notice and the, the duration of that notice. And the other one is arbitrary dismissal. So I'm not, so let me kind of walk through that uh, one by one. So first, the person was on a, lim- on a limited contract starting December 2016 and will let go at the end of July, which means that uh, she will have worked for the company for more than six months. Therefore, she was no longer under probation. Under the UAE law, if you're terminated during the probation, then um, either party can walk away without giving any notice. Well, in this case, obviously, it will have been more than six months, and therefore she was uh, confirmed and she was a full-time employee. Uh, so she will be entitled to what's called a um, 
the termination notice. Under the law, the minimum termination notice is one month, unless contracts um, provide otherwise upwards. Remember, not downwards, but upwards. So if there's a contract that says uh, there is um, a notice period is three months, and she will be entitled to three months. And... Um, uh, so I mean, so that's that's one thing to check. The other thing is again, if if it's a limited contract, so courts often award ar- arbitrary dismissal even in the context of limited contracts. Uh, traditionally or historically, people thought that um, arbitrary dismissal is only available for unlimited contracts, but in fact, courts do routinely grant arbitrary dismissal even for limited unlimited contracts. However, the duration of the contract in that case does come in um, relevant. So let's say if she's only worked for seven months, the chances that the court will award additional three months of arbitrary dismissal, probably less because she will have only worked for the company for seven months. If she worked for the company for three years, then the chances of arbitrary dismissal, even in the unlimited contract, uh, would be much higher. But actually, as I'm reading this and I'm rereading it, she was in a limited contract. If it's a limited contract, then she's definitely, uh, she's entitled to additional three months of arbitrary dismissal. And in, um, and remember, these are for both notice period and for arbitrary dismissal. It's, uh, the, it's, it's a full monthly salary without deduction. So it's not basic salary versus allowances. It's the full salary. And the basic salary only comes in uh, the calculation of the gratuity and the gratuity only comes in after one year of service so in this case uh, based if if the contract says she had three months and she needs to be paid six six months in total if there is no mention of the notice period then it will be one month plus three months arbitrary dismissal Okay, uh, you're listening to the Legal Hour on Drive Live. You've got about 10 more minutes to get your questions in 4001. We've got plenty coming up, including one from Sam about investor visa uh, eligibility. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook. Tweet at Dubai I 1038FM. Drive Live with Tim and Claire this evening. Also in the studio with us, Ludmilla Yamalava, managing partner at uh, HBL Yamalava and Plevka, of course, answering your questions. And we're going to go to the lines now. I'm hopeful that we are going to speak to Thomas. Uh, hello, Thomas. How are you doing? Uh, hello, I'm doing good. Sorry doing we good. lost you earlier. Good to have you back. You've got a question for Ludmilla about maternity leave. Yes, yes. Uh, my wife uh, w- uh, was working in an organization for the past one year. Okay, On March 6th, she applied for an annual leave with the maternity leave because she was due uh, on in the month of April, April end. Okay, And uh, she took a total of three months of leave and she was supposed to join back uh, on the first week of June. However, uh, due to her health condition, she had emailed the employer saying that she is unable to join and uh, requesting her for further uh, leave. Uh, the employer did not respond officially uh, via an email or anything but said that she can join at any time verbally uh, there's no uh, communication formal communication on that but immediately the employer uh, in the first week of august had requested her to join back immediately uh, however you know due to her health condition and after the uh, maternity break and with the baby she was unable to and what she did is she uh, you know she said that she cannot join immediately and she said that you know she she offered to resign from her job immediately now the employer is requesting for a uh, number one uh, they are uh, they haven't paid the leave salary or the maternity pay but the employer is asking for she's she's a uh, medical uh, person she's a speech therapist she's, she has a DHA license with the Dubai Health Authority they are claiming the the reimbursement of the DHA license expenses uh, plus the uh, insurance that uh, you know she was uh, for the past four months and uh, and the notice period uh, 
uh, the contract breaking, which is for two months. So uh, I understand about the notice period, which is there, but uh, and they, they are denying an experience letter also, uh, you know, saying that she, you know, they will not be giving an experience letter. So uh, what what's the legal point of it and how can I uh, approach this forward? Okay, it's a fairly loaded question, but okay, with yeah. regards to uh, some of the things that you said that you knew and, and you thought they were quite easy, and that is, for example, the, uh, the notice period, that yes. she has to compensate them for the notice period. That is not the case. Uh, what the law says, if an employment, if a person resigns early, in particular, it has to be a limited contract, remember. So if she's not, un- if she's under unlimited contract, then that clause uh, does not apply at all, that she does not need to compensate the company for anything because she has not broken the contract earlier because the contract does not have an end date. If it is a limited contract and um, she terminated early, the way the law is drafted is that the employee is um, will, will can compensate or should compensate the company for the damages that they have suffered. The company has suffered up to one and a half months of uh, payment. So it's not two months, it's up in the half, uh, one and a half months of payment. However, and more importantly, is that the way the clause is drafted is that it's not an automatic uh, offset or deduction from the employee's benefits. In fact, it really has to correlate, once again, we're talking about damages, it has to, it has to correlate to the actual damages the company would have suffered by virtue of this early termination. And who can determine the amount of damages? Nobody but the court. So in this case, it is, um, but as I say that, I know that in practical terms, a lot of companies do automatically deduct it, but it is not legal and it's not correct. So therefore, um, they are not allowed to do that and they would have to prove to the court that ha- there will have to be a court case and they will have to prove to the court that they will actually have suffered damages under the, that case. Furthermore, based on what you've described, it is very possible that even though your wife resigned, it's very possible, as I mentioned earlier, that your wife could claim what's called constructive uh, termination, and that is that she was forced to resign because the company would not allow her to extend her uh, her uh, sick days. And if she was entitled under the, for those additional sick days, and if there's documentation to, p- to prove, in fact, that she was sick, uh, and then, once again, you have a fairly good argument to, uh, to show that she was constructively terminated, even though she has a, <laughs> a resignation letter, and therefore, if she was terminated, and if the agreement was for limited uh, period, then she would be entitled to, in addition to her notice period, whatever the notice period was, uh, either one month, minimum one month, and up to whatever is in the contract, plus the arbitrary dismissal of another three months. So all in all, she will be required uh, to receive uh, to, the, to receive the notice period, um, to obviously her leave um, and, and the maternity leave, um, and um, uh, and in, uh, since she's worked there for one year, she'll also be entitled to gratuity, which is the 21 days of basic salary for the first year. Uh, now, two other things you mentioned, and that is the reimbursement for expenses, that, such as the license and insurance. It is not yeah. legal for companies to require employees to bear any costs associated uh, with the requirements of their job. So once again, done this quite. It, this happens very often, but it is not legal. The law is very specific that the companies must bear all the expenses related to that employee actually working, uh, working legally, and that would include obviously also the licenses and insurance and visa costs and so on and so forth. But often we do see companies wanting to pay has that cost to employees, but it is not legal. Finally, um, the um, the experience letter. The law, once again, clearly states that the company is required to give employee experience letter. It's not a recommendation letter, but experience letter in terms of saying what this employee worked from that date to that, that, that date. So that is by law required to be given to the employee. Hope that helps you, Thomas. Thank you very much for calling thank, in this afternoon. Thank you very much. Okay, thank our you. pleasure. We'll stick on the uh, phones for now. We've got Jason on uh, line uh, seven. We did have Jason. Jason's gone as well. Nobody likes waiting, Ludmilla. <laughs> um, my, 
Answers must be very long-winded. Uh, because they're <laughs> thorough. They're thorough, right? Okay, what have we got on the text line, Tim? Here's one from Kirian. I loaned money to a friend. I loaned in capital letters, so the alarm bells are going here. As he started his business, he's now left the country. The check he gave me has bounced. It's a familiar story, I think. He gave me more checks, which I haven't lodged yet. I've discovered he took money from other people as investments, in capital letters again, and their checks have bounced as well. Complicating the fact is the value of the money he took in total, two million dirhams uh, has been thieved, I guess is the best way to put this from friends. Kieran, I'm not asking a specific question, but is there anything uh, he can do? Uh, well, there are two things you can do, but, I'm not, uh, but you have to manage your expectations in terms of what you may be able to receive as a result of these two um, things. And the two things are, one, is a criminal case, and two, is a civil case. Criminal case, because you have bounced checks. So you can file cases uh, against, uh, for those bounced checks, and, and that's fairly easy and, 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 um, and simple to do. You go to the police, you um, launch those cases, and, but you know that the employee is not, uh, or that person is not there, so the chances that um, that person will come back into the country a very um, a very minimal given uh, the, the mess that he or she left behind uh, so but that's a criminal case you can also but the criminal case is always only limited to the amount of the actual checks so since you've also loan, uh, loaned money perhaps and I'm not qu- quite clear uh, from uh, from the question if you loaned money in excess of those checks additionally therefore that you can also bring a civil claim and that is for that other additional the additional funds that are not covered by the checks once again you would have a judgment, civil court judgment that would um, prove that you have given that money to that person and you would have a criminal judgment but any one of those judgments would only be as good, uh, only good if they, that person will come back into the country unless, however, if you know where he or she is and if you think the amount is significant, you can take the UAE judgment and you can try to try to enforce it in a different jurisdiction. It's uh, Enforcing a foreign judgment is never simple but if the amount is substantial, such as uh, 2 million dirhams, um, then there is, you know, there could be a, uh, a case that's worth considering. So, with regards to other investors, you did say that the um, the amount is for two million dirhams, but it sounds like it's cumulative. And in the UAE, you will not be bring, able to bring one case because consolidated actions are not allowed. But if you do know where this person is hiding, you might be able to go as a group. You may actually, you certainly will be able to go, but you may want to go as a group and bring a case against that person in that jurisdiction for the cumulative amount. And you will do that in one case. Let's see if we can do these very super quick fire, super, super quick fire, Ludmilla. Okay, Mushtaq says, does my wife need to add my first name as her surname in a passport after marriage? If she does, will it create any issues as there'll be a difference in her degree name and her passport name? No. That was super <laughs> quick. Well done. Um, and uh, this one as well. Uh, my company is registered in TCOM as a free zone company. All employees have TCOM work visas. Now some employees have moved to the mainland branch. Do they need to change to the mainland work visa? Yes. I knew you were going to be able to do those quickly. There you go. We can tried can to I have a go at this? I like go this. Go on. See if you can <laughs> get Luke Miller one. to do a yes or no answer. I can too. add caveats, but, uh, but those, those simple answers will do. Okay, Uma's asking, I've been defrauded by a purse of 1.3 million dirhams. Checks are bounced. Criminal cases registered. The person is an absconder, not in Dubai. What could be done to recover the money? Uh, you can file a case uh, wherever that person is based. Well done. Well done, Ludmilla. We like to get as much out of you as we can. Thank you to everyone who's sent uh, their questions in. We haven't got to them all. We know that. We never do. We always run out of time. We will carry them over till next week when Ludmilla will be back with us again on the Legal Hour. Thank you very much for being with us uh, this afternoon, Ludmilla. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.